You're listening to the sermon podcast of Parkside Church of Christ, a church with Christ, with each other, and with our community in Dearborn Heights, Michigan. For more information about our church, you can visit us at our Facebook page or at our website, parksidecoc.org. Today, we're kicking off a series in which we will walk through the story of Exodus. And as I was getting ready for this new series, I slowly began to realize that all of the pictures in my head as I read Exodus come from the movie The Prince of Egypt. I don't know how many of you remember that movie. It's more than 20 years old now and was basically the last of the big hand-drawn animated movies. It was somewhat popular when I was a preteen, and then kind of faded into obscurity, but is, as far as I can tell, enjoying a real resurgence this year. And people are Googling the Prince of Egypt four times more right now than they were in previous years. And clips from the movie are getting millions of hits on YouTube, and people are going viral with covers of songs from this little-known mid-90s movie. For a movie that didn't even break the box office top 30 the year it came out, this is kind of a big deal. And at the same time, I'm not that shocked that this movie is making a comeback right now. For one, it's just old enough for parents my age to feel nostalgic about showing it to their kids. But probably more significantly, the themes of this story probably resonate with a lot of people this year for a lot of different reasons. In a year defined by plague, by injustice, by cries for deliverance, the story of the Exodus can carry a lot of meaning. The songs in this movie were written for a specific historical and narrative context, and yet they invite us to join in these songs in our contexts. Uh, Lately, I found myself singing There Can Be Miracles, a song that I never even really liked before this, because its lyrics are just so on point. The hope is frail, it's hard to kill. Now, we are not afraid, though we know there's much to fear. These are some of the best 2020 slogans I can think of. And so, I thought it would be fitting to kick off our Exodus series with another one of those songs from the Prince of Egypt. After that, we're going to hear a reading from Romans 8, followed... uh, by another song that'll be new to most of you. But first, let's hear our story for today, read from Exodus 1 and 2. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sapphira and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women, 
and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitmu and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of the Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her attendants walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then a sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, deliver us, Lord of 
son, I have nothing I can give But this chance that you may live I pray we'll meet again If he will deliver us Hear our prayer, deliver us From these famished years as slaves We've grown too old to stand Deliver us There's a land you promised us Deliver us to the promised And from the led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved.
in the opening scenes of Exodus. And there's probably a hundred different sermons a person could preach on this text. But one of the words that grabbed my attention this time around was the word labor. The background of these first two chapters is filled with sounds of labor, the groaning of enslaved laborers and the groaning of mothers in labor. In labor, all God's people groan, though they don't groan alone. See, the first characters we meet in this story, the, the first ones who are named at least, are two women who are well acquainted with labor and laborers. Shifra and Pua are midwives. They are experts in accompanying mothers as they give birth, at welcoming new life into the world. And they are the ones who welcome us into this story, and who introduce us to the themes of courageous resistance, and life-saving deliverance. But as I read and reread their story this week, I can't help but wonder why it's there. There's definitely a way to tell this story without them, right? In fact, that's the way we usually tell it. Shifra isn't in The Prince of Egypt, and Pua isn't in Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments. The way the story typically goes the big picture problem with Pharaoh and the Hebrews jumps right to baby Moses in the basket. In fact, as we listened to this story read a few minutes ago, I bet some of our brains skipped right over the scene with the midwives, because well, that's just how our brains have been wired. So I'd like us to take just a minute to hear this particular part of the story one more time. Here's how it goes. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So what's going on here? Why is this story included? Why does the author of Exodus include these details when so many others are left out? Why do they name Shifra and Pua when not even the Pharaoh gets named? These are questions that led me to reach out to a friend this week, somebody who I thought was likely to have insight that I don't. Now, some of you have met our friend Cassie before. A few of you know her as your aunt or your sister-in-law or as the wife of Steve Corp, who has joined us here at Parkside in the past. 
But as I've gotten to know Cassie, starting way back when she was Steph's roommate in college, I've come to respect the way that she draws a bunch of different passions and experiences together in really meaningful ways. She's a student of literature and drama, a thoughtful theologian, a nonprofit leader, a mom, and a doula. For these reasons, I thought that she would be the perfect person to check in with about Shifra and Pua. And I gotta admit that Cassie's response to my questions exceeded my already pretty high expectations. In fact, I ended up editing out all of my questions and rambles out of the video that we're about to watch because I didn't want to have to delete a single sentence from what Cassie had to say. So let's take the next several minutes to hear from Cassie Summers Corp. Yeah, after I had both of my children, uh, I decided to do a training program in uh, how to be a doula. So I have attended several births. Um, so I'll kind of talk a little bit about what a doula is. Uh, so a doula is not a medical person. Um, it is a support person for a pregnant woman who is in labor or after birth. There are doulas who support women after, after labor and delivery as well. Um, I'm a birth doula, which means that I attend women while they're in labor and as they uh, give birth to their children. So a doula provides emotional support. A doula answers questions throughout the gestational period, has meetings with the family so that they feel really comfortable. Um, primarily, a doula is comforting, is helping the laboring woman to deal with the stress of labor, um, and is making sure that the woman has autonomy, is making, is making informed decisions that her practitioners are getting her consent. Um, and the, the really cool statistics on that are that women who feel really supported in labor um, are like 34% less likely to rate their birth experience as a negative experience. And that's even if not everything went according to plan, that's even if they had to have some kind of an emergency intervention, um, they still primarily, those women would rate their birth experience as a positive one. Um, because they felt really listened to and supported during their labor experience. So that's really what I feel passionate about doing. Um, and I have uh, had the blessing of being able to do that for several women over the last few years. So that's what I do. A midwife is uh, a person who does provide medical care. So it's not an OBGYN. It's not a doctor. It's a woman who has gone through a lot, a lot, a lot of medical training school, but is specific to labor and delivery uh, care. So they're providing medical care. They are assisting in hospital births and home births, a lot of different areas, but they are actually licensed medical professionals. And they can provide care for women all throughout their lives as well. Um, but in this context, uh, with Shifra and Pua, a midwife is a person who provides medical care. Now, Shifra and Pua, they would have done a little bit of both. They would have been doulas and they would have been midwives because it would have, it, it, their job would have necessitated that in ancient Egypt. Uh, and midwives all over the world then would have provided both emotional care and support for the women that they were caring for, but they also would have provided excellent medical care. So that's kind of the difference between the two. It, the line would have been blurred in ancient Egypt for sure. Um, a lot more than it is today because today midwives sometimes, especially in a hospital setting, 
have to focus on the medical care of the woman instead of sometimes the emotional care of the woman. Um, it's really interesting that Shifra and Pua are included in the story. I think it's really interesting the number of women that are included in the first chapter of, of Exodus, I'm sorry, um, because it's really like a large percentage of the story is female driven. That this story of Exodus, which is really a male narrative, um, it's the story primarily of Moses and God and written from a male perspective uh, because we think Moses wrote this book. Uh, but the beginning of the story, the real plot drivers of the story are Moses's mom, are Shifra and Pua and Pharaoh's daughter, all three of whom have to display an incredible amount of courage from the get-go or Exodus really doesn't exist as we know it. Um, and so I think it's really interesting that, and we don't often in scripture get to see what the women are doing, uh, but we know obviously that the women in Israel were working and doing important things. So I think it's pretty cool that we get this tiny couple of verses snapshot of Shifra and Pua in this story um, because we get to see just a little bit of the important work that they were doing. And I think it's significant that Moses includes it because I think that um, it was obviously important to him that he knew their names and that all of the people that he would have been writing to, the people who was he was telling this story to, would have known their names, that many of the people coming out of Egypt wouldn't have made it, especially the men wouldn't be walking out of Egypt without these two very brave women, Shifra and Pua. So I think that Moses really honored them by including them in this important story uh, of the people of Israel. I mean, this is really an origin story for, for their people and they're, they're some of the first people named. So that's pretty cool. Um, Going back to what their job was, they were midwives. Um, and I kind of want to reframe the way that we talk about labor and delivery in the context of this story because I think it's important. Um, so I have, I have been in several midwife attended births and midwives don't often talk about delivering babies. So like if you know an OBGYN or a midwife, you might ask them like, how many babies have you delivered? Um, midwives don't really talk like that. They will not say that they delivered a baby. The mother does the delivering. So in, in this context, Yochebed, Moses's mother, was the deliverer. And Shifra and Pua would have been the catchers. So midwives in our modern time refer to themselves as baby catchers, not baby deliverers. Um, so I think that's a really interesting kind of, maybe it's kind of semantics, but I think that it's significant because in this context, it's important that Yochebed is the deliverer of the deliverer and Shifra and Pua are there catching the baby, witnessing the birth of the baby, doing important, important work, but Yochebed is the deliverer of the deliverer. And so I kind of think if we cast ourselves not in the role of deliverer, but in the role of catcher, if we're Shifra and Pua in this story, what does that mean for us in our modern context? Um, and I kind of think if we're Shifra and Pua in this story, we are there. We are comforting people in their distress. We are showing up. We are displaying fortitude and uh, faithfulness 
in the midst of difficult circumstances and then we're there to witness the, these ways uh, that delivery, deliverance happens in our context. Um, and I think that's kind of important and cool. Um, and an interesting way to kind of think about that story that if we're Shifra and Pua in this world where there are lots of labor pains and there are lots of difficult circumstances, uh, just in general, this is a hard time in life. Um, and the scripture talks about how all of creation is groaning as though in labor pains, we're all waiting for deliverance, right? And if we're Shifra and Pua and we're waiting, along with everybody else, our job is, is to be there, to attend, to catch the deliverance uh, in our context. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, so that's just kind of an interesting thing. That's kind of the way that I read that story. Um, and as I zoom out from that story, I think about what it is about Shifra and Pua's story that makes it one of my favorite narratives in scripture. Um, and I think the reason is that birth for me is, has, has been a thin space for me. Uh, I have experienced birth both as the deliverer and as a witness to that delivery. And in every instance, the space between that, that space in that room has been a sacred space where the space between us and the eternal is just a little bit smaller. The air between us is smaller. Um, where I have not seen perfectly, but maybe I've seen a little better, a little more clearly the way that it's supposed to be, the, the beauty that God intends for us. Um, and I have felt like God has met me in those rooms, uh, whether I was the deliverer or the catcher. And so I think about Shifra and Pua, and if they're like me, if they're a birth worker, and they are going to work every day and being in these thin spaces and every day God is meeting them in these thin spaces. Then I think, of course they lied, of course they lied to Pharaoh. It was easy for them because every day they went to work and they saw the glory of God and they saw what he promised, a tiny picture of it but they see a tiny picture of hope in the midst of their despair, in the midst of their oppression, in the midst of hopelessness and pain and murder and tragedy and very little cause for happiness or hope. Every day they see a tiny picture of the way that God intended it to be, of the plan that he has for them. And so I think that's why they saved all those babies and that's why they saved Moses and that's why we have Exodus and and I think that tiny little picture was an important one and they played such an important role but I wonder if they thought they were important and I wonder if they could have possibly understood what they were doing because it's a tiny picture right I keep doing this with my fingers, but that's the best way for me to explain it. It's a tiny, tiny picture of what God was doing, but it's a long game. Shifra and Pua are way over here in Egypt, and they cannot possibly know that what they are doing is vitally important to the work that God is doing. Because in a couple of decades, 
he is going to lead his people out of Egypt and he is going to dwell with them in his tabernacle. So he spent all of those days in those tiny thin spaces coming down and meeting Shepherd and Pua, and he's gonna do it for all of the children of Israel in just a few decades. He is gonna come and dwell with his people. And then thousands of years later, that tiny little picture of a tabernacle is going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ who comes as a literal baby not probably attended by a midwife, by the way. And he is going to literally dwell with his people as the embodiment of hope and redemption and deliverance. So I think that first picture of Yochebed, the first deliverer in Exodus, attended and witnessed to by Shifra and Pua, all those thousands of years later in their abject bondage, in their hopelessness, they get to come all, they would never have known, they could never have projected that there is a direct line between their important work and the person of Jesus Christ and projected later all the way to us sitting here talking about them and the importance of their context in our context and how important it was for them to be people of faith and people of hope and people who had their priorities straight in a world that had gone mad that they believed every day that God would meet them, even in the midst of tragedy. And let me tell you, birth is messy and it can be tragic and it can be difficult, just like our lives. And I think Shifra and Pua are a picture of seeing that it is absurd out in the world, that we have lots of crazy things going on in the world, especially right now in the midst of COVID, uh, in the midst of all of the racial injustice that we're seeing, in the midst of so many personal, small and big issues, that God meets us in the midst of those, that there are thin spaces in our lives where God meets us and shows us this is the way it's supposed to be and I am making all things new. And I think that deep in their souls, deep in their hearts, Shifra and Pua believed that, even though they could never understand that we're sitting here on a computer screen with this mysterious internet, talking about the importance of their work. Bible scholar Wilda Gaffney calls these two midwives the first deliverers in the Book of Deliverance. Kelly Nekondeha, another theologian, writes that Shifra and Pua demonstrate deliverance not as warriors on the battlefield, but as midwives at the birthing stool, bringing life into a dangerous world. After hearing Cassie's description of these women and their relevance to our situation today, I wonder if these two midwives might instead refer to themselves as the first catchers in the book of deliverance, the first participants in God's deliverance as, as companions and attendants to the birth of God's new life. Whether in the labor of birth or the labor of enslavement, Shifra and Pua couldn't create deliverance, but they could bear witness to it, catch what others couldn't, celebrate and protect the new life emerging, even in a dangerous world. They had spent so much time in the thin space of labor that they'd come to recognize God's presence and hope even in the midst of pain and trial. 
Now, I've mentioned several times before that I think that God might be inviting us to imagine this strange and painful year as a season of labor producing new life. And again, this doesn't mean that God is causing these crises or that they are somehow good. Uh, remember, labor pain, like death, wasn't an intended part of God's good creation. And yet, as Shifra, Pua, and the rest of Exodus shows us, the pains, pangs, and patience of months like these can give way to surprising new life. God has promised deliverance, and God is inviting us to bear witness to that delivery, to attend and catch God's emerging future, to accompany each other and all of creation in this season of groaning. And I think that if we pause even now to reflect for a minute, we will come to see that God has surrounded us with shifras and puas, with, with midwives, doulas, companions, as God labors with us and brings about deliverance. God is making all things new, and God has provided women and men who are helping us notice and celebrate that future life even now. And so, as I mentioned in the email you all received earlier this week, I want to give us a few minutes now to to celebrate those people today, to publicly thank God for the catchers and companions helping us hold on to hope and to discover God's life in our dangerous world. Thank mm-hmm. you.